we're going to start with a uh, one of our, our YouTube uh, videos. Uh, but instead of reading our passage, if Matt could just uh, first post the verses from Psalm 51, that's our passage for today. But I think the song that uh, we're going to start with uh, pretty much follows at least the version that the songwriter used of Psalm 51. So um, maybe you could listen to the song and read the verses on our own as we uh, listen to it. So can you play the Charlie Peacock song, Matt? Okay. Um, so for those of you with, uh, what do they call it? Synesthesia. Can you offer what color this, you see this song or hear this song? If you don't have it, um, I don't know, what are some patterns or textures? Uh, let's, let's talk about the song um, first. Sounds uh, a little hard for a topic where we're expecting to be a little more serious in terms of the beats of the music. Missed the first part, Dave. You, I got the serious part, but what about the song itself? It sounds a little lighthearted for the topic that is being sung, sung about. I think it's interesting the last line that he decided to end the song on, um, the one you speak and justified when you judge. I don't have anything like insightful to say about that, but I just wonder why he stopped it there. The refrain was annoying me because it doesn't grammatically make sense unless you say right when you speak and justified when you judge. I liked how it started out though, but then, yeah, I kind of agree with David once it started going into that like banjo-y thingy, it threw me off. I didn't understand it. Anyone else? So if I do assign a color, I was thinking maybe like an earth tone. Uh, if it, I've never heard the singer before, but apparently he's a pretty well-known gospel singer. He's won some uh, awards and stuff. Uh, his voice I liked because it's kind of gravelly. Is that a right term? Kind of gravelly. So um, maybe the tones, as David said, was a little lighthearted, but I like the the kind of the the sense of um, I guess kind of requesting or um, yeah I, I kind of if I, I picked this because I found it interesting like when I let's say or with King, if King David were to sing this or um, when I'm in kind of this kind of uh, context, right, uh, repentance, or um, trying to deal with my sin. Um, it, 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 it's not quite um, like, I, I'm heavy hearted, but I, I don't, I'm not muted either, but I, certainly I'm not like, there's no clarity or uplift either. So somehow it kind of struck a nice blend for me personally, but that's so subjective, right? Okay, um, so here is Psalm 51, a famous psalm. Um, and uh, it, it is uh, kind of a very, 
either heavy duty or kind of uh, a heavy hearted topic, right? Uh, David commits a pretty, uh, actually a set of major sins uh, before God and uh, affects, impacts the lives of people. And um, so it's uh, pretty interesting to me that it, he, this psalm is preserved, uh, or the, the story is preserved uh, in this manner. So um, maybe Matt could pop up question one, which is, in what sense uh, does David's lyrics or psalms match uh, the genre of the psalms as we have been developing or discussing? Like, what can we, what, what, what do you guys think? Why, why is this an appropriate psalm or, or why, it's okay if you speculate, why do you think it was included or it was good to have been included in the Psalter? I think it's included because King David wanted it there. He wanted it there? Yeah. yeah he, he wrote it and he wrote it for the choir director. So this song is kind of a public domain, if you would, at that point. And I think he wanted that song played every time he wants to be reminded of, you know, God cleansing him. And so, and it just kind of stayed after that. I thought it was included because it shows that David's very human and that, you know, a, a, a man like David, who's, you know, after God's own heart could mess up this badly and still get um, forgiven, then how much easier is it for someone who's not like David, who's messed up even more to be forgiven? So I think it's encouraging in some ways. And, you know, um, a lot of the Psalms um, seem to come out of the crucible of whether it's hard times or desperate times, unfair times. As Steph said, there is go back to original sin, talk about how the heart of rebellion against God and then many failures. Omissions and commissions, people attitude. Uh, it, it really, that's kind of the common thread, I think, of human beings being human. So to have someone as someone like David, who the Bible for the most part considers pretty illustrious, actually pretty much collapsed. Um, kind of, uh, I don't, know, I don't want to use the word proving, but you know, demonstrating, you know, that all of us are susceptible to sin. All of us are sinners, 
and then uh, to come out of it um, based on the grace of God, based on his prayer of repentance. Um, I, I think it, it, it is um, kind of Psalm-ish in that way, right? Meant to be, uh, meant to play kind of um, A, a kind of teaching role, a, a edu educative purpose, um, something that is not strange or unique, but also common um, to to all of us. So, I feel like it has a important place in the spectrum of human experience, human emotion, human life, human condition, and especially uh, human interaction with God, right? Any other uh, thoughts on this psalm among other psalms? Just, I was thinking that as an address or communion, you know, a, a prayer, To God, uh, it, it, it's special. It's, I think, it, it, well, it's it's not special that uh, it doesn't. It's of a different kind. It's um, kind of uh, intensive, right? And so expresses, I think, so deeply uh, David's relationship with God. Uh, and so I feel like. Um, that's very characteristic, certainly of David's songs, how he addresses God and you know mentions kind of interpersonal stuff that is so dear, so real to him. So I feel like um, it really helps us um, know and. and learn how to call upon God and pray. Um, most of the Psalms um, do not specify what occasion or incident or event or sin um, that is kind of on the mind of the composer. But this one, right, in the superscript um, does specify that this is uh, but David penned uh, following um, Nathan's rebuke of him for committing adultery with Bathsheba and then trying to cover it up by summoning his, her husband uh, Uriah from the battlefront so that he could have relations with her. It would look like Uriah fathered the child. And then when that didn't work, um, arranging that Uriah would lose his life uh, in battle. These things uh, and the conspiracy of it 
Nathan says, a displeased God, right? Um, David despised God with his what he did, and this brought, brought displeasure to the Lord. And it took Nathan, the prophet, and, uh, to convict, to, to challenge David, to come to grips with what he'd done, and uh, repent of the sin, and seek God, right? Seek God's forgiveness. Um, the ramifications, the repercussions of this was, you know, uh, certainly God forgave him, that's most important, but the repercussions continue. Right? The child was lost, uh, and then uh, it became kind of, um, God said that there would be consequences among David's children. Absalom's rebellion could be traced to this. So uh, it's very grievous what happened. And uh, yet um, I'm still talking about the, psalm, the psalmishness of this, right? the psalm qualities. Um, even though I think Steph mentioned this um, and maybe David Chang was uh, indicating this as well, but you know, the repentance and David's willingness to memorialize it, let's say even be reminded of it, to use it as a teaching tool. Um, well, I think one of the takeaways of this psalm is that praise can come out of a terrible situation. Right, that uh, sin is not the final, it's not that, you know, crowbar blow, it's not the, it's not the end, right? that's, you know, death, uh, that, that's the wor worldly path of sin, but um, forgiveness and, in, you know, there's a favorite hymn of mine, grace greater than all our sins grace of God is greater than all of our sin. And somehow, uh, David, especially in the last verses, 13 through 19, I think um, really kind of orients the psalm in that way, uh, similar to a lot of the psalms that he, we have, that you know, we've looked at uh, as well. So Okay, if that's kind of a, a general kind of a view of it, um, uh, there's, there's many ways to kind of uh, approach this passage. Um, like if I had to break it up, I would say verses one and two is David's prayer, right? His plea to God. He entreats God to for mercy and uh, forgiveness and cleansing. And then verses three to six is kind of uh, a statement, uh, an agreement, right? Um, confession, right? David acknowledges the truth of God. And um, although Chelsea <laughs> made a very interesting point about the, about the song that we heard from Charlie Peacock, I thought it was very interesting that he kept um, emphasizing that you know, oftentimes 
repentance is hard. Repentance is complicated. Repentance is, you know, you know, very confusing. I mean, you know, the very public, recently public um, resignation and allegations against uh, New York governor and his response and, you know, it's the dissection of it. It's, you know, what is fact, what is, you know, spin, what, it, you know, it's, it's really tough uh, to decipher, uh, it seems, uh, in a lot of things. But David, there's no argument. David knows that he's a sinner and he knows he's sinned. And I think there's so much to kind of um, that foundation, that agreement, right? In, in Isaiah, God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Right? Let's reason, let's talk it out, let's agree. Let's, um, let's talk about what's, you know, undisputed when, who was it? Who asked about the 3 a.m. working thing? Who worked till 3 a.m.? Diana. Yeah, Diana, yeah. Like I, I had to raise my hand several times for that because um, some of the cases got really busy. And uh, I remember one case where you know I had to do uh, what they call a motion for summary judgment. And there's this element of it. It's kind of statement of undisputed facts, right? Here are the 10, 20, 50 facts that there's no disagreement between the two parties. And, and if you're trying to get the, the case dismissed through summary judgment, the more you have, the better. If you're trying to um, keep the case in, you know, disputing those things, you want a lot of disputed facts so you can get before a trier of facts, a judge or a jury. Anyway, uh, for David, there was no undisputed facts. I mean, there was only undisputed facts, right? It's undisputed that he was born in sin and that when God judged him, when God spoke against him, when Nathan, you know, rebuked him, David had no defense. He had no argument. He knew that he was, you know, steeped in sin and that his heart was very far from God. So, and arguably, until he came to that realization, that's, he had a lot of that dispute, a lot of that convolution, a lot of that over-analysis that maybe some of us are, are, are good at. Um, you know, David agrees with God. I think that made a big difference because right? he didn't need to be convinced to do this or that. He didn't need to be shown, you know, where he, like, maybe this was his complete fault. Maybe this was someone else's fault. You know, all of those kind of things can really, like I said, complicate and uh, makes, makes our approach to God very difficult, makes repentance, I think, all the more uh, difficult. Uh, and then, you know, verses 7 to 12, uh, there, you know, David, again, uh, 
it's kind of an expansion of verses one and two, but uh, I really found what the way that he uh, phrased it or put it kind of uh, like beautiful, if you will, right? You created me a pure heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Um, and it's more than just kind of like, let me slide or let me get over this difficulty. David wants to, in a sense, start over, right? He knows that not only for this sin, but for all his sins, he can't go on with uh, an unclean heart. He can't go on with a proud spirit. Um, you know, change, transformation, something new. It's not business as usual. So a lot of those um, terms there, I think, are really uh, gives a sense of purity and of beauty, uh, like a clean slate. Right? Um, I read somewhere that the terms he uses are laundry or launderers terms, so blot out. Is another translation, wash, cleanse, create a pure heart. Um, you know, because God was holy and pure and clean, uh, David knew only by being washed completely would he have any chance of restoring the relationship. So it wasn't just about tweaking a few things. It wasn't just about making the best of a situation it wasn't just about like you know keeping these people happy and whatever it, it was really about david um allowing god to completely forgive him right? it was about um starting afresh uh, almost like in terms of salvation when we come to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, repent of our sins and follow him in faith, right? we're born again. That clean slate, the pristine opportunity that forgiveness can, um, can permit. And then verses, as I already said, verses 13 to 19 is, um, Somehow uh, about David's um, commitment to convey or share, uh, to live right before God. It wasn't uh, like, in, in my mind, it's not a like a condition. Like David wasn't trying to do these good things like like sacrifice or praising God in order to be forgiven. He knew that forgiveness was purely an act of God's grace, but he knew that if forgiveness were to be granted, uh, these kinds of responses, these kinds of fruit, these kinds of um, 
results, these kinds of changes characterize his life, right? They would reflect what forgiveness looks like. Um, you know, teaching transgressors your way, right? That's, you know, what, what, by what right does David have to teach? Only if he has been forgiven, I think, can he teach others. Um, maybe he will be a good teacher because he understands his own sin and he understands God's holiness and what it took uh, to uh, forgive him, right? David knows that he could, you know, pour it on in terms of offerings and sacrifices, but what God really wants to see in David's life and my life and your life is a broken and a contrite spirit. Then there will be righteous sacrifices. Then there will be uh, displays, right? So let me just kind of conclude that part by saying, yeah, repentance, right, for all of its difficulty and, you know, you know I, I, I know that full well how hard it is to, like I said, you know, undisputed facts of, of my sinfulness um, to kind of really stand before God and um, restore that relationship, how hard that is and um, how we, it's so uh, easy to avoid or to kind of um, yeah, steer clear uh, of it. But I think one of the things is how uh, true repentance can lead to uh, a real freedom, a real power. What David says in 4, 13 through 19 is, uh, I think, really tremendous in the sense that, you know, if only God, you know, he's willing to go through the hard labor and the, the humiliation, the, the hard hurt, the hurt that he's going through because he realizes the extent of his sin and what he's really done. But he speaks of it in a way that there's kind of this uplift or lightness, encouragement, I think Steph used, um, this kind of a, a joy that can't come from anywhere else. I think that's the, you know, when Jesus says that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents more than when 99 righteous people who don't need to repent uh, there because you know, the power of God's forgiveness can manifest, right? It's the power to make things right. Yeah, we, we can't rectify anything before God, right? Before God, that has to be completely a gracious act. But a lot of our um, kind of what we do to people and what we wrap, the, the repercussions that we cause, uh, once we are truly forgiven by God, where does the 
strength and where does the courage to come from? It comes from forgiveness. Right? I'm just saying, I think that's where we see uh, some of David's kind of his characteristic leadership and um, strength, right? This uh, uh, about this on our, our really comes out. And so, you know, if we are, and, and I, I, I am, I'm including myself in this as I ask, you know, why is, do I, if I've repented, why is there such little power in my life? Why is there such a lack of freedom? I feel so small and shriveled even after dealing with or asking for forgiveness. Or, uh, so it might go back, right, to the depth of our repentance, the seriousness, the sincerity, the willingness to admit that God is right and I am wrong. So that, that would just be kind of uh, a rundown of the different sections of Psalm 51. Um, I kind of want to spend the last section just focusing on one verse uh, or one question. And if you look at verse four, and Matt Chin, if you could uh, pop up the question. Uh, verse four reads, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Um, what do you think David means in verse four? I, I specifically, why does David say against you, you only have I sinned? Apologize for this noise. It was the air conditioner <laughs> turning on and off. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but like, I think maybe David's getting to the point that like God is ultimately going to be the one who's going to judge him. And for that reason, like, he's just like, I guess, focusing on um, just seeking God and his forgiveness. You know, with it, with this sin. Thanks for that. Yeah, I think when I look at this, it kind of, um, you know, the way that he says it, like against you, you only kind of 
um, we understand that the sin is an offense against God, but it almost kind of, you know, maybe is a, it seems like it could be like a little bit too much of an exaggeration and that he, he certainly has wronged other people in the course of all of this. So I kind of wonder, uh, sort of wondering about that, but maybe um, not to minimize like the, the, the hurt or the, the, the terrible things that he did to other people, but I guess like everybody, maybe, I, I don't know, one way of, uh, it just sort of popped in my mind to think, think about, try to think about it is like, I guess everybody though else is a sinner in some way or not entirely innocent kind of party, but God is like the only one who's sort of stands, stands blameless like not only, you know, in addition to what Sam was saying, that he stands in judgment over everyone, but he also is like entirely, you know, without blame. Uh, and so maybe that that sort of makes it, uh, and sort of weights it heavier. I guess the other thing is just maybe sort of poetically, like I would, I, I think I tend to just, if I wrong somebody, then uh, it's, it's, much more at the forefront of my mind, like, you know, how that other person is feeling about what I did wrong than, you know, the fact that God is also offended. Like I kind of intellectually understand that, but I think like emotionally, like my attention is more on like the sort of more concrete relationship in front of me. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, a couple of the chats, uh, both are, are helpful too. Um, I think what Alice was saying and what Sam kind of follows up with what Sam said, um, if technically, right, you know, sin would be um, if we trend, literally, it's like missing the mark, right? So the, the standard of God or his holiness, that's where sin finds its kind of definition. So in, in one sense, I and I think Peter kind of talked about this too a little bit about the priority of God when it when it comes to like working through um, uh, forgiveness or rectification or kind of uh, rest uh, yeah rectification making things right uh, it has to start with God we can try to like, you know, appease everybody or even like, I don't know, make restitution or, I mean, David couldn't with, with Uriah or, you know, he, he that was kind of irrevocable what, what happened, but let's say that, you know, we can kind of compensate or make up for our sin with people. But with God, we don't have that kind of credit that kind of ability and the only way you know david doesn't barter he doesn't say i'm going to give you all these things if you'll just forgive me all david can do is literally throw himself on the mercies of god right and all he can do is to uh, plead for forgiveness uh compassion so um, I, I think there is a certain sense of like none of the other 
uh, the other issues are important, but unless David resolves uh, things with God first, um, none of the other ones are really get resolved either. Right? I, I find that to be a big temptation in life, my life too. Like if I mess up, if I hurt someone, I'm, I think Peter was saying this too, we kind of start thinking about, well, how do I fix it? How do I repair it? How, how do I make it better? But, you know, when we're dealing in the moral universe, when we're talking about sin and forgiveness, um, an offense to uh, 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 another human being is, first of all, right, an offense to God. Um, so I think that's one way to kind of try to process that first in terms of priority or um, kind of the kind of first and foremost you have to get right with God and, and only then can we I think get right with other people so you could say vertical and then horizontal right that kind of thing so uh, and then uh, I'm, I appreciate what Matt wrote. He kind of talked about the closeness, the sense of closeness that David had uh, with God. And, and that's kind of how I, I think that it was the, the way that I felt, you know, that, that it, it impacted me or, or it spoke to me that, um, David realized um, how much uh, he had hurt God. He realized that the biggest sin, the um, the deal breaker, if you will, what what he what the the biggest transgression he committed was to break his relationship with God, to betray God. He betrayed Bathsheba, he betrayed um, Uriah, he you know, betrayed Joab too, right, um, in that story. But um, you know, he, he really kind of severed um, what he had with God. And I think he's kind of overwhelmed by that, right? Um, not that the other offenses or relationships aren't important, but um, the grace of God had been so bountifully poured out in David's life and for him to kind of uh, slap uh, God in the face for him to um, do the things that he did. Um, that conviction was so strong uh, in him. Uh, this, to me, uh, this psalm strikes most of all as intensely personal. Right? Uh, it's first person. There's so much familiarity between 
God and David. It's almost like, you know, David is just like, there's really nobody else in, in, in the universe. It's just him and God. And so he's so focused on humbling himself before God and, and restoring that relationship that all else, you know, the, the things of earth, the other people grow, you know, grow dim. It's kind of like some of your Zoom backgrounds, like you, everything's kind of fuzzy and you know, blobby, except you, you're, you're pretty clear um, with that particular background. For David, um, that's what it is. And like the word uh, O, it's a letter, but it's also a word, right? It's kind of used with a direct object, and that direct object is God, oh God, or uh, it, it, it five times it's used in this psalm. So D David is really crying out uh, to God, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a lesson in and of itself, not only in terms of importance and priority, but um, that sin is relational, sin is personal. Again, when it comes to God, especially, we tend to make it more about law and letter and commandments, do's and don'ts. But I think once we can understand that, you know, a sin is uh, a rejection, a denial, an injury, an offense against our relationship with God, God's love for us. Uh, I think it changes um, the, the reason for repentance, the manner of repentance, the urgency of uh, repentance. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to share with you guys how hard I'm, I'm finding it over the years. To know the reality and the truth of it, but <clears throat> to actually uh, enact it, to actually practice it, to actually see it um, come alive in, in, in my own situation. Uh, I think that's the, again, the power and Difficulty of this song, right? Okay, any? Okay, so much up. Okay, appreciate that, David. Thank you. Any others, uh, either verbal or chat, that people want to offer? Um, we're going to close with uh, Keith Green's version of this. Um, and I want to take it in, into a time of prayer in our own um, whether it's a prayer or whether it's a meditation or it's a repentance uh, let's have about five minutes and uh, so Matt if, you, if no one else if Matt could play that song and uh, I guess I'll close this in prayer Pray. So let's pray together. Uh, 
Lord, in this uh, arena of sin and forgiveness, uh, holiness and darkness, our own struggles with sin and the freedom and power, the joy of salvation, uh, we, I think we find ourselves uh, uh, distracted, uh, maybe overly concerned with consequences and uh, appearances and explanations and this, that, and the other. Um, but I thank you that I think David's psalm asks, uh, focuses on one thing, and that is uh, his desire to be restored to you, his fear to be out of your presence, uh, his desperation that um, most importantly, he uh, reconciled with you. Lord, make that our uh, hearts cry. Make that what is, um, what supersedes everything, what swallows up everything, uh, is to uh, experience uh, your healing hand, your gracious love your mercy. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to, uh, I think, understand that when that is properly done, um, that the joy and strength can help us with the, the rest of the matter, rest of the matters. Um, even though it really is unpleasant, and even though it really is um, so kind of distressing as we see uh, just the power of sin run rampant in our world and in our society and in our hearts. Um, help us to, uh, again, turn to uh, the one uh, who can really blot out our transgressions, who can cleanse us with hyssop, who can restore uh, the right spirit uh, and can lift up a broken and contrite heart to one that lives um, in the sight of God um, in, in joy and in peace. Uh, thank you for our study of these various psalms. Um, especially uh, there their concreteness, their uh, ruggedness, um, their truthfulness uh, for the composer and uh, for us. Uh, we lift all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.